Brimbo Red High Performance Podcast. Hi, everyone. Dan Sandberg back with you for another episode of Brembo Red. I just realized before recording this podcast that this is the one-year anniversary of Brembo Red. And I think back over all the things that have happened over the last year, including the last few months. It's been uh, quite a year, hasn't it? After the year we've had, I'm glad to say that things are in fact getting back to normal here at Brembo. We've started up all our plants around the world, and for the most part, we're getting back to the day-to-day process of making great breaks. We still have several administrative and technical people who are working from home, including me. And I guess one of the advantages of having to shelter in place or stay at home during a pandemic I get to hook up with some of the customers and others in the automotive world who I don't usually get to talk to on a day-to-day basis, but these guys are stranded at home, so like me, they're willing to talk to just about anybody. And today we'll talk to two interesting guests who are on opposite sides of the automotive and performance worlds. In a few minutes, we'll talk to the owner of the YouTube channel, Engineering Explained, and that's a channel that has over 2 million followers. Think about that. Two million people who would see your posts every day, whether it was Facebook or Instagram or something like that. I think that'd be pretty cool. Well, Jason Fenske, social media automotive influencer, will be joining us later on in the podcast. But first, I had to take out my little red book, Brembo Red, of course, where I keep the phone numbers of my favorite customers here at Brembo. If you recall, during the last podcast, Mike Messina from Brembo Racing and I were talking about how the entire world of racing everywhere globally has stopped. So you got these race teams who are sitting around at home. That includes drivers and riders who are doing nothing. Well, that got me thinking, and I decided to give Simone Pagno a call. Simone is an IndyCar champion and most recently won the Indy 500, probably one of the most prestigious and famous car races in the world. Simone is a pretty energetic guy, and after building all that winning momentum last year, I really couldn't picture him just sitting at home doing nothing. While IndyCar started up earlier this month, just before that startup, I sat down with Simone and talked about what he and his well-traveled dog Norman have been doing over the past three months. Let's see what he had to say. It's really my pleasure to have Simo Pagino, who did one of the original Brembo internal podcasts way back in 2014. A lot has happened since then, huh, Simone? I know. Uh, I was there, and it was a pleasure. So it's great to be back on. A lot has happened since fourteen, that's for sure. So uh, life is still good, despite uh, what's going on right now. You know, we're all trying to adapt to the situation, but uh, you got to stay positive. So here we are uh, in the COVID nineteen downtime. There are so many people who are sitting at home, who are high energy people, who are used to being at the track. I mean, it's racing for God's sakes. Mike Messina, our our racing expert here at BNA always says, he says, it's like a traveling circus, you know, Uh, and the traveling circus, everybody is home now. What are you doing right now with not being able to race? How do you keep your mind mentally in shape? What do you do physically to, to stay in shape and get ready for the season? Well, the biggest thing is I was really ready for St. Pete. So when the race didn't happen, I, I drove myself home and I isolated myself starting March 15th. So I haven't seen, I haven't seen many people since, quite frankly. Uh, I'm here with my wife, Haley and Norman. And I took two days just to play on the simulator, but it was just playing really. It wasn't serious enough. And then on the Monday, I kind of felt depressed. I was like, well, that's, that's not great. I was just at the peak of my form. I got to find a way to deal with this um, COVID-19 situation and, and the probable shutdown that was going to happen. So I, I went to the sports center. I equipped myself with all the necessary for uh, my training. So I got a, a rowing machine. I got a bike. I got 
TRX uh, bands so I can train um, I can train as much as I want. I upgraded my simulator with uh, three big screens and then I decided to put a routine together. So I train every morning three hours uh, physically, do lunch and work with my PR team uh, between 12 and 3 uh, every day. Come up with a way to engage with our fans. Uh, we've had a fantastic following but social media has become an entire part of what we do these days. Uh, it's very important to keep entertaining our fans and keep engaging with them. So we, we try to come up with ideas. We've come up with this beard challenge, which is really loved by the fan, my fans. And we came up with the Simon pet peeve. It's very unfortunate to say I have a lot of pet peeve, but people seem to love to learn about it. And then after that, at three, uh, three to six or seven, I, I train on the simulator every day. Let's talk about that simulator. I see IndyCar is doing a little bit of the eye racing stuff. We're seeing some of these guys come out of retirement who are, who are no longer racing, who are actually on the track now, and you can see them. How realistic is it? Very, You're, yeah. Do you feel it physically? Do you feel yourself move physically, or is it all a mental thing? No, it's not very physical. The only physical part is really the braking pedal because you can make it as stiff as you want. So uh, it really works your calf and your leg. Uh, but you can also increase the force feedback and make it uh, uh, very hard steering. But quite frankly, the my heart rate usually in the race car is 165 average over two hours. Here it's probably 110. So it's not very physical, but um, it's mentally draining mm -hmm. because the reality of a simulator is to trick your brain into finding ways to make you believe there are some feedback that you don't feel. So say... For example, the feedback of speed, you don't, you don't have it, but it's, it's trying to trick your brain with the, the speed of the image, the sensation of grip, it goes through the steering wheel instead of going through your, your back. Mm -hmm. um, so you don't have the G-forces, but you have the, the forces through the steering that gives you that sensation. So you're constantly being tricked and your brain's fighting that and you got to let it go to be able to immerse yourself into the scene. It's very interesting. But it takes a lot of practice to be able to let go that much. So um, it's very interesting. It's very realistic. But there's all, there are obviously a lot of fine differences. So what about Norman? How's he handling uh, you being at home and not being able to travel? I, I can tell you, Reese, who's the Brembo mascot, she has now picked up almost instantly the fact that she's going to get a walk every day. So four, <laughs> 4.30, she starts to whine. And uh, wow, immediately, immediately I have to go out and, and take her for a walk. So It's, it, it's funny you said that. I, I, I actually, we've, with Norman, we've had this going on since he's, he was a little pup. I've, I've been taking him on walk first thing in the morning. So if I wake up at 5, if I wake up at 7 or 10, the moment I wake up, he opens his eye and he's ready at the door to go for a walk. So uh, and you tell him you want to go for a walk, his ears go up and he's ready to go. So that's his routine. He loves it. Uh, but, you know, it's funny. Norman's been used to travel with us to every races. And when we stopped traveling with the COVID-19, he actually had a, a whole week of kind of, he looked like he was depressed. He was unhappy. Uh, didn't want to get pet and he didn't eat much and and then he got used to it and now he because he, he goes out and sunbathed in the sun every day he's got he's got his spot now that he never went to before so he had to adjust it's funny to see but he, he's had to adjust I, I think that happens you know i think they're no different than people in a lot of ways they know the routine has changed 
Yeah. You know, and by the way, full disclosure for everybody is four thirty in the afternoon, not in oh, the morning. Okay, okay, okay. You I said was, in the wow. morning. I said, oh, couldn't do that. <laughs> <laughs> Reese would be at another house if she was getting me up at four thirty in the morning. Trust me. Same here. But I think they, you know, I think they notice the routine, and they, you know, you, you got to keep them busy. I think it's a challenge for all of us to stay inside. Did Norman actually get a sponsorship? I heard he's uh, becoming quite well known, also these days. I'm impressed that it's already known, but yes, he just landed his first uh, sponsorship. So he's an ambassador for Julius Canine. And Julius Canine, they, they make harness for, for dogs. So he, you always see him with his harness. And they just sent him a bunch of different harness with different colors. He actually has a Menard color one, and he's got his name on it. It's pretty cool. I mean, it's... Um, Reese gets no. out of her harness. She is the Houdini. Oh, it's unbelievable. She needs a Julius Canine one that fits her perfect. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it's pretty funny to say that Norman can pay for his own bills now. <laughs> <laughs> I heard he does eat a lot, though. That's what I heard. He does. But, uh, are you doing any home projects at all? Or, uh, or... Well, we just moved into a new house, so there's not much to do, uh, <laughs> unfortunately. <laughs> But And then we did our move in January just before this whole thing happened. And we rushed into trying to get everything done before the season started. So we pretty much did everything before uh, this all started. But um, I have been doing a lot of pressure washing, which is, trust me, the greatest therapy in the world. I've been doing a lot of pressure washing. I have a pretty amazing pressure washer. That's one of my passion, actually. I love, I love pressure washing. So I did the whole area around my house and it looks great. Pressure washing. I never thought of pressure washing as something that was therapeutic or fun to do. I think I'm gonna have to get my power washer out and give that a try. Hold that thought, Simone. I have to sell some Brembo brakes right now, but when we come back, I want to talk to you about that amazing finish and the win at the Indy 500 last year and how that's changed your life. We'll be back in 30 seconds. Brembo has been stopping champions on the track as well as drivers like you and me on the street for over 50 years. And you can get a complete set of Brembo premium brake replacement rotors and pads at buybrembo.com. Buybrembo.com will help you identify the exact pads and rotors you need and help you achieve that 60 to 0 braking performance you deserve and expect from Brembo. Brembo, the choice of champions and consumers for over 50 years. This is Brembo Red. Dan Sandberg back with Simon Pagno, IndyCar driver. Do you ever get tired of talking about the victory at the Indy 500? <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I'd ever get tired. I think, you know, it was, it is the, the, the top crown jewel of my career. Uh, and it is the crown jewel of racing. So, um, you know, I'm so proud that it would be with me forever. I'm so proud that I was able to put my name on that, on that race. And, and I'm very excited to be able someday to talk to my kids and my grandkids and tell them, you know, that daddy or grandpa won that race. So it's, um, you know, it, it's it's uh, it's a prized possession. It's like your property after a while, and, and it's um, it's very special to say that you've accomplished your biggest dream in your life. So, for those who were watching that race, you and I had a conversation in the Grand Premiere back in July, and I asked you this question, and I want to hear your response and let everybody else hear your response. So, you're in those last two or three laps of that race, and you were ahead. Yeah, your car really performed great during that race to start yeah. with. Not surprisingly, you were in the lead and about, what, four or five laps left to go. And somebody passed you, didn't they? Right? In, yeah. <laughs> and I asked you, I said, what happened to you? Did, were you nervous about it? And what was your answer to that? 
Ah, my answer was perfect. I remember clearly the move from Rossi into turn one, and I was like, this is perfect timing. Thank you very much. <laughs> you know, the last 15 laps after the restart, we, we had a red flag and we restarted the race. I tried to take control by being in front of Rossi and see how long it would take him to pass me. During those 15 laps, he was very smart and was able to tune his car with the anti-roll bars and weight jacket that we have available. He was able to tune his car to be able to pass me with less and less laps. It was very interesting. It started with, took him about seven laps one time to get me. And then at the end, he could do it in three laps. But I could pass him in half a lap. So I knew I had a big advantage. So when he passed me into turn one, I knew I could break the rhythm and get him into turn three about a lap later and hopefully get the win. So uh, in this moment, the only stressful moment is to have an incident behind you and it goes yellow and the guy in the lead wins the race. So um, I had to get him back pretty quickly. <laughs> it was amazing. And I tell you, I mean, you're really a great guy. And I'm not just saying that because you're standing here right in front of me. But, you know, back when I met you for the first time in 2014, I thought you had a really great attitude. I've watched your career since then. And it's great seeing somebody, first of all, that I've met, uh, and second of all, that uh, has has driven some Brembos from time to time. But I really, <laughs> I, I, I really thought number one, I think you earned it, and number two, it was just great seeing the way you you ran that race. It was really fantastic for you. Thank you, thank you so much. It's uh, you know, it, it's it's interesting in a career what uh, what goes through. Um, obviously, there are a lot of talents out there. You know, I'm not the only drivers that could have won that race that day. But through my career, I've I've seen a lot of different drivers. I've drive a lot, drove a lot of different cars. And like you said, I've driven on Brembo when I was at Peugeot in Le Mans. And uh, that was a while back now. It's almost 10 years ago when we finished second in Le Mans with the Peugeot 908 diesel and the Brembo brakes, which was a great program because it taught me a lot about brakes. It's very interesting. It, it's, you know, it's been a life of learning a lot of different stuff. And uh, I think racing is a great lesson of life in general. And those lessons of life are quite public. I mean, you're in People magazine now, when you got married, all the wedding pictures were published. Is that a little odd for you? I mean, do, did you really? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> very odd. I, am, I mean, I'm very honored by the interests. It's, uh, it's also interesting to be a French guy being liked so much by American people. It's, it's, it feels great. I'm, I'm very excited about that. I think the culture in the U.S. Uh, suits me really well, and I think that's why... Maybe people like me so much, but uh, some things are odd for sure. Like when you go to um, Chipotle, for example, and people stop you and uh, you have no idea they know you and, and they do know you when they ask you for a photo or, or they tell you you did a great job last weekend. So it is weird in many ways. Uh, sometimes, obviously, it's it can be disturbing because you don't want to be recognized in some situations, but um, it goes with what we do, and um, you know I love the fans. They they bring me so much uh, energy during a race, so I feed off of that. You won one of the biggest races that a driver can win. Can you get as excited about winning that race again and other races in IndyCar? Well, I mean IndyCar is really my uh, specialty now, and um, and I have more I want to accomplish. You know, Indy is my number one priority. I enjoyed so much living the dream for a year, being the the Indy 500 champion. I think I got more recognition for that than I did for the championship in 2016, but I got more recognition winning that race than any other time in my career. Uh, and I also feel like Formula One, uh, the industry of Formula One recognized me, rally industry recognized me more uh, after winning that race. So to me, it feels like if you want to exist in your, um, in your industry, you got to perform 
at a certain level uh, in what you do. And, and Indy, to me, is the biggest race in the world. So I want to win again. And then second, obviously, I want to go back to Le Mans because um, I haven't finished business there and I want, to, I want to get the 24 hours. That was a very close second, wasn't it? It's unfortunate to say that it's the closest margin in history for the victory. So I've got unfinished business. <laughs> so you look at IndyCar, they're going to be making some changes to that car. You might even get yourself a hybrid engine, a little bit of electricity. Let me jump one step further and ask, do you ever see yourself trying out the electric series? <laughs> I actually have driven a, an electric race car uh, in, um, on ice racing in France. I was invited. It's called the Trophée Andros, and they have uh, full electric cars. And I was I was amazed because the engine responds instantly, right? It's just like a, a light switch. So, and it was very easy to control the power delivery, better than any other uh, thermic engine I've driven before. So I, I was like, I was impressed. Now you could only race for 15 minutes, but uh, and recharge. But I'm sure that will change in the future. What about Formula E? Do you think that's a viable series? I don't know. I'm not in it, and quite frankly, I, I pay more attention to to IndyCar because that's what I do, and sports cars. It seems like the racing is really good, and it seems like manufacturers are getting involved, and there's a great interest for it. So um, I think it's viable for sure, and and it seems to be. So uh, why not? But it's it's missing one sense, and it's uh, sound and smell. Two cents. <laughs> Let me ask you about NASCAR. I think I asked you this six years ago, and I think you said, no, I'm a single-seater guy. I don't think I'm going to go the NASCAR route. Would you ever think about driving in NASCAR? I know they're coming out with a new car. It's going to be a little more aerodynamic. Looks like it's going to have some pretty interesting things, at least in the corners for us. We're, we're excited about seeing some bigger wheels or we can put some nice brakes in there. Yeah. Uh, you ever think about doing uh, something like that in NASCAR? Those are I know you like big and heavy old-time race cars. I thought that may, may, might be something you might try out one day. Well, you know, I love racing and I love cars. Uh, you know, I'm a big fan of rally racing, which in the future I hope to get back to and, and have a, a semi-career when, when, I'm, when I'm done with IndyCar. But uh, I, I definitely uh, would like to try uh, NASCAR. I'm being asked a lot that question. Most people think I want to try on a road course, but I actually want to drive on an oval. The, the oval racing in NASCAR is phenomenal to me. I mean, it, those cars are really hard to drive. They've got a lot of power. The, the racing is, is really fun. So, yeah, I'd love to try, but uh, it takes me a while to get to the right level. Well, we look forward to it. I tell you, Simone, it's always a pleasure talking to you. Uh, I learn a lot. Until I got to Brembo, I never really liked racing. But then I, you know, I went a few laps at Spring Mountain, did some track days and everything else. And now I'm thinking, hmm, I wish I could go back maybe 30 years. Maybe I do a lot more racing and have fun like, like you do every weekend. But I really appreciate you spending some time. I hope you stay fit, stay healthy. Of course, my best to Norman from uh, Reese, and my best to your wife and your family, and I appreciate you spending time with us here on Brembo Red. Everybody stay safe, be strong, we'll get back to racing very soon. And you're listening to Brembo Red, the world's first and only high-performance podcast. Jason Fenske, YouTube sensation, and automotive influencer is coming up next. Stay with us. Wake up and text text and eat mm -mm. text and meet up with a friend you haven't seen in forever hi oh hey text and complain that they're on their phone the whole time <sighs> text and listen to them complain that you're on your phone the whole time uh. text and whatever but when you get behind the wheel give your phone to a passenger put it in the glove box just don't text and drive visit stoptextsstoprex.org
A message from NHTSA and the Ad Council. We're back in the Brembo Red studio, and I want to welcome Jason Fenske. I guess I'm going to ask you, what do you put on your resume? Are you a social <laughs> media magnate, YouTube partner, social media influencer, or maybe auto journalist? That's a, that's a great question, Dan, and thank you for having me. Uh, the, the last word I would use is influencer, even though that's probably the most accurate. I, I think I just go with the standard simple YouTuber. Like, that's my, my simple go-to. The term influencer I don't like, and I wouldn't say I'm a journalist, because in that end, like, journalists don't take money from the things that they are talking about, which I often have sponsored videos. So I don't think that makes sense. I think I think YouTuber is like a fine word. <laughs> well, how did you get into this? Because I think everybody is a amateur influencer, right? They're all out there posting things on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, and they're they're trying to influence other people, right? Yeah. I so I don't I guess I don't know if, if they're if influencing other people is the goal, but certainly like having a, some sort of social presence is often the goal. And for me, it was that uh, I'm a very curious person and I enjoy learning and I enjoy teaching. And so when I initially started it, I, I had an internship in which I didn't have much to do at said internship. And so I would actually do some of my homework. This was when I was in college. I would do some of my homework and I was reading a book, How Stuff Works by Marshall Brain. And for my Spanish homework, uh, I would translate some of these things from English to Spanish. And I really like the idea of explaining how things work. And so I thought, well, what if I do a video format of kind of this how stuff works thing that Marshall Brain does? Uh, so initially it started out as engineering explained. The goal wasn't this is only going to be automotive. It was going to be engineering in nature. I mean, slowly my passion towards cars kind of took over and that's all that it is now. It's just purely car based. Cars are intimidating. Cars are, cars are incredibly intimidating. It's so many different forms of engineering going into one object and that's intimidating. So my goal is to kind of break away at that intimidation and, and have a deep dive inside so you know what's going on. And when you understand it, it's, it's far less scary. So you have a following, though. I mean, you, you have the largest classroom probably in the world. <laughs> yeah, two point some million on YouTube, one point some million on Facebook. So how does it feel to be someone who's relied <laughs> upon for really a major decision? I mean, you realize that, right? When you go in and you say, eh, I don't like this car or you know what? This is the greatest car in the world. You're influencing a major purchase for yeah. somebody. How, how does that yeah. how does that make you feel? Uh, it's wild. It's wild. I got an email of someone saying, oh, I just bought a Lexus GS350 because I saw your video and it seemed great. And it was like, wait, what? You did what? <laughs> and <laughs> in, in my head, I'm thinking like, well, you know, go out there, test drive it. If you like it and if you feel the same way about it of the things that I said about it, like great, cool, happy that I was able to assist. Um, I don't like the idea of like all of that responsibility being put on me and saying like, well, you said it's going to be like this. So I just went and bought it. Like, I feel like cars are uh, a subjective thing as far as what people appreciate in them. So certainly go out there and test drive it yourself. That's my what, What's on your top five list when you drive a car? Playfulness, which is kind of hard to characterize, uh, but I would say low weight cars tend to feel more playful. Throttle response, I tend to be much more drawn towards naturally aspirated or supercharged vehicles versus turbocharged, which electric cars can kind of fall into that. They also have incredible throttle response. 
Visibility, I think, is a big thing. I think it's something that a lot of manufacturers kind of don't look at as being that important. And when they do, I really appreciate it. So if you have a good view, like, for example, driving the Mercedes G-Wagon, I can't explain to you why it's so great. But you sit in that thing, you have amazing visibility. There's something about being able to see everything that makes you appreciate vehicles more. So I feel like visibility. And I actually like soft suspensions. I would say soft suspension is another one. A lot will disagree with me there. I'm going to give you a chance right now to give me your five-second review on the following cars. And the first one's very important to me because I have an order in. Shelby GT500. Okay, it's great. Um, here's Here's my quick review. Crazy fast, crazy grip, extremely good, no supercharger noises. That's that's the one sad part. Oh, you like the screech, huh? Oh, I do. I do like the Hellcat supercharger wine. Like, I think that's a beautiful thing. New Corvette. <laughs> Precise. It does everything very well, but it's not super playful and it has a cramped interior. Did a lot for the money, though, didn't they? Oh, it is. it is a near perfect car. It is near perfect as far as driving dynamics go. All right, swing to the other end of the scale, Taycan. I have not driven the Porsche Taycan, so I unfortunately uh, I have no feedback to provide. Tesla Model 3. Well, I own a Tesla Model 3. Uh, I think they're fantastic, the, especially the performance model. Crazy fast torque. I mean, and people get in this. You talk about non-car people getting excited about cars. Most of my friends don't care about cars whatsoever. When they get in this car, this Tesla, and they haven't been in one, it's like, whoa, what is this thing from the future? And suddenly people think it's very exciting. So, you know, car enthusiasts have strong opinions about Tesla. Non-car enthusiasts, when they get in it, tend to be very excited about it. All right. Younger generation likes iPads with wheels. All right. (laughs) Is that why they're getting excited when they go and sit inside a uh, Tesla Model 3? Well... That's part of it. But then you floor it and people generally have not felt that kind of acceleration because it's fighting above its territory as far as price. Not many cars below 60 grand are hitting 60 miles per hour in less than, you know, around three seconds. All right. I'm going to adjust my terminology. It's going to be an iPad with wheels and a lot of G-force. Yes, yes. A fast iPad on wheels. You know, I didn't get a chance to ask you this when you're talking about your top five things that you look at when you're driving cars, but this is a Brembo podcast, and I was wondering where brakes fit in there. What are your impressions when you drive a car with Brembo brakes? So I think that's a challenging question, but here's here's my best attempt. I think more so than my opinion of how it feels, it's pretty impressive how many manufacturers go to Brembo when they say, this is our performance kit, here's what's on it. So that speaks a lot to me. As far as brake feel and what I feel driving these vehicles, there's so much more than than rotors and calipers and pads to brake feel. I mean, you've got the lines, you've got the, the pumps associated, you've got ABS, you've got master cylinder, you've got vacuum assist or electric assist. You have uh, regen, of, regen on the Tesla, yeah, right? Regen, that's a, a huge role that plays in. And so there's, there's so many different ways that it can feel completely different. And I don't have an amazing understanding of how a caliper itself alters what I feel. 
But it's a trusted brand like that. That is clear because you see it everywhere. So you guys are obviously doing something right. Yeah, I I get to play with it and enjoy it. (laughs) All right. So what's your thoughts on electronics? All right. Where is the market going? Hybrid or electric? What percentage of the cars you think by 2030 in North America will be electric? I want to preface this question by saying that I don't study sales data hardly at all. So I I don't really know. Now we're at something of like 2% of sales are electrics and, and battery electric hybrids. If I were to guess, I'd say we're going to be somewhere in the 10, maybe to 20% region. I think adoption will be slower than a lot of people assume. What about watching an electric race? Does that interest you at all? Formula E, for example, or something along that line? Yeah. So what's cool about Formula E is it kind of changes the rules I do follow Formula One a bit, and with Formula One, it's high downforce racing. Like, downforce plays such a critical role in the racing, and because of that, that carries down through so much of the aspects of racing. So, you know, trailing another car is difficult. The suspensions are extremely stiff. There are certain aspects of the racing that changes because it's all high downforce racing. Because electric cars need as much energy as possible, you can't have high downforce setups. So because they're low downforce, they're more mechanically grip-based, and the racing itself is actually quite good. And that's for a couple reasons. You can have contact, and it's not completely destructive. You can lose your front wing in Formula E and keep going like nothing happened, because it's mostly like it's almost it's that it's an aesthetic feature. So much more of the car's grip is based on mechanical grip, not aerodynamic grip. The the aspects of the race change and contact is, it seems more common in Formula E and it's easier to follow closely. So you get a lot of close racing in Formula E where it's not quite as divided based on did the manufacturer have the best aero setup out there with the best powertrain, the end. So that's why you go to Engineering Explained, you see, because even in your answer, I can learn a lot about the physics of the world. We're with Jason Fenske, and he is the YouTube partner, and really, he's a good influencer with his show called Engineering Explained. I urge you all to run over to YouTube, and you will find all the answers of why things do (laughs) what they do. Jason, I'm really glad to have you on Brembo Red, and you've explained a lot to me. Good luck to you in the future. Thank you so much, Dan. Really appreciate you having me on. Wow, Jason, this episode went fast. I want to thank Simo Pagno and, of course, Jason Fenske for being our guests on Brembo Red. If you like what you heard today, please do two things for me. First, give us a five-star rating and throw in a nice compliment wherever you're downloading this podcast. And second, please subscribe to this podcast. That way you'll be the first to be notified of each new episode as we release it. Thanks again for joining us. Please stay safe and healthy. You've been listening to Brembo Red with your host, Dan Sandberg. Send your comments, questions, and suggestions to podcast at us.brembo.com. Brembo Red is produced and copyrighted by Brembo North America.